This is the Untapped Podcast with Dave O'Brien. Have you found yourself trying many different concepts and ideologies to try and get the most out of your body? I'm going to break down what it really entails and what you really must look at to help you achieve optimization. Hi guys, welcome to episode two, Ice Therapy. It's actually one of my favorite tools to use in my, in my toolkit and I actually look at it so multifaceted in terms of the, the major benefits that it actually has on the body. But before I get into that, I actually want to talk about my own experience with ice therapy. And actually, first time I got exposed to ice therapy was actually through one of my, uh, one of my trainers. He actually talked about this guy, Wim Hof. He said, you've got to check him out. The reason I was really interested in a lot of the stuff that Wim was essentially doing, and I would actually classify Wim as one of my uh, mentors. He actually taught me a lot about how to use ice therapy and obviously about diaphragmatic breathing and the forced type of ventilation. So, but the reason I was so interested is because a lot of the major benefits when it came to Escherichia coli or E. coli or uh, exposure to excess amounts of LPS, which is like lipopolysaccharides. Uh, and so its ability to actually help with some of these like bacterial byproducts and a lot of the toxicity load that can actually be caused by these types of complications. So that's where really, really where my interest came from and actually attended a, a five-day retreat where we were exposed to ice therapy every single day. We essentially started off with uh, three minutes and then sort of built up to where we got to 10 minutes. That was sort of my, my first major exposure to ice therapy. But actually, even before that, it's a little bit of a funny story. I was actually in Greenland and I wanted to sort of build up uh, by doing things like cold showers. I'm going to talk a little bit more about that and actually just getting in the, the ocean. So the first time I actually got in an ice bath or any ice exposure was actually I got in the ocean in, in Greenland and actually I was surrounded by icebergs. Uh, and when I actually went to get into the, the ocean, I actually slipped down the rocks and I actually fell into the water. And the actual uh, pain was, it's hard to describe, but it was almost like getting like stabbed by like a, a thousand knives. Now, I don't want that to turn you off. Like it's really important because as I said, like ice therapy is, is one of the best tools that I use to actually help to realign a lot of different factors within individuals. But of course, okay, because the, the, the thing to understand with ice therapy, it's like a good stress, okay? So there, of course, there's like, your, your brain is sort of built towards comfort, okay? And so there's this initial adaptation process that is gonna take place with something like ice therapy. And you actually do raise things like catecholamine. So you raise things like epinephrine and norepinephrine and cortisol. But the cortisol increase is, is quite minimal when we actually do, do ice therapy. And that doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, okay? And so there's a lot of benefits to these catecholamines. And initially, when we're producing more stress hormones, and uh, if I use the example of what's called ACTH, which is adrenocortotropic hormone, which you actually produce in the anterior pituitary gland, actually helps with the release of a, a particular protein molecule called interleukin-4 that actually has anti-inflammatory properties. So I don't like the demonization of stress hormones and 
you know, in particular, cortisol needs to stop because it actually does have a lot of like benefits to the lymphatic organs and it actually does have anti-inflammatory properties. And if you use these good stresses, which is what ice therapy is in the right way, the, the benefit in the body can be vast. It's just so multifaceted once again, yeah, okay? But my first experience was, 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 it was tough and it was really hard for the body to adapt. And generally we say that it could take the body anywhere from about a minute and a half to two minutes to actually adapt because, you know, a lot of people would perceive things like shivering as a bad thing. But also what you need to understand is your body's trying to generate heat in that instance. And so what it's trying to do is take things like fats and sugars and convert them into heat or energy for you to warm you up. So shivering is, is not a bad thing. And my first exposure to, you know, this extreme, extremely cold temperature, it was tough, yeah, okay? And I definitely wanted to get out. And when actually when I went to get out, I kept on sliding back into the water. Um, and my partner, Bianca, actually found this incredibly amusing, but it obviously got to a point where it was not amusing for me anymore, okay? Eventually, I ended up uh, getting out. But the thing that I want to really get across with this experience of my first exposure to this, these extremely cold temperatures and actually, when we look at research, especially when it's been done through Swedish research and then Russian research, is they actually notice that the, the benefits, the major benefits of cold therapy really came uh, or really come from zero to five degrees, okay? And it can be as little as one to five minutes to really get a lot of these benefits that I'm going to talk about. But once I put my clothes on and then we were walking back to the, to the village, Aluasat, where we were staying in Greenland, I just felt amazing. Like so energized, so clear in the brain. And I'm, I'm going to explain this. Like it was literally like, um, like I just wanted to jump out of my skin. And so when you look at a lot of people today, um, the big reason I like to use ice therapy is because you're just sitting so immunosuppressed. Okay. And when you're sitting immunosuppressed, like lacking energy, so poor ATP. Um, and also, when you're sitting immunosuppressed, well, guess what? You're more prone to pathogens and microorganisms. And, so, and, and dealing with blood markers and looking at people, people's like white blood cell count, their neutrophils, their monocytes, and their lymphocytes, well, these tend to be on the lower side. And it's definitely a sign of immunosuppression. Now, one of the thing, big things that I've noticed, and this has actually been through cold showers, and this research was done through the Thrombosis Research Institute. And one of the things that they noticed through cold showers is they noticed a raise in a lot of uh, these white blood cells. So, and in particular things like the monocytes and the lymphocytes and the neutrophils. And if I sort of look at the neutrophils, one of the big roles of the neutrophils, because they make up 50% of the white blood cell supply, is to deal with a lot of these microorganisms and pathogens and bacteria and especially things like candida, yeast, negative gram bacteria, which I always talk about, these are huge problems, um, and especially in modern day society. And so also vast improvements in the lymphocytes and the way to look at it, if we help with the lymphocytes, well, we help with things like B cells and they help with antibody response and antigen response and also T cells, which target once healthy cells that have turned viral or cancerous and even like uh, natural killer cells 
So this just all helps with our immune system and even things like monocytes, so raising the monocytes, an improvement in the monocytes, and the monocytes are a little bit like the SAS in the body. So once they, they take about 8 to 12 hours to get to the point of infection, but once they get to the, the point, they'll stick around uh, for a longer period of time just to make sure that, that, that we can actually deal and get rid of that infection. Okay? Um, and so they'll sort of like uh, help to engulf and, and get rid of the, the, the pathogen or the bad bacteria. So they actually noticed that was, there was a vast... And we've just got to look at it, and it all comes down to that good stress response, okay? Because when you're increasing things like epinephrine and norepinephrine and also a slight raise in cortisol, you stimulate your lymphatic organs, and your lymphatic organs, so areas like your, your tonsils and your appendix and your spleen and your thymus, well, th they help with the production of white blood cells. So this is why we get the stimulation of the white blood cells. And there's nothing more powerful to get rid of... Um, bad bacteria and opportunistic bacteria than your own immune system. And that's essentially what it's doing is it's kick-starting your own immune system so your immune systems can start to deal with the, the, the potential complications in areas like the gastrointestinal tract and get rid of this opportunistic bacteria. So that's, so that's one, you know, big uh, benefit of, like, starting to apply some ice therapy. And it's really important to understand that that's actually research that they've done through cold showers yeah okay now the temperature doesn't tend to be too cold in this instance so it might range from anywhere from like 10 to 15 degrees now when we start to apply ice therapy and i'm going to talk a little bit more about this right at the end but now we're getting down into the realms of about zero to five degrees and that's really where it starts to have a real positive impact on the immune system like really generally needs to be far colder temperatures. So the other aspect that I really want to talk about, which, you know, a lot of people, you know, uh, fat burning and helping with weight loss, you know, it's, a, it's an important thing. Like, um, but sometimes we're not utilising the right tools to really fast track this process, okay? And a, a big problem that a lot of people have is things like leptin resistance, where you're struggling to shuttle uh, glucose into the cell for energy and this can be uh, because you've got problems with glucose homeostasis because you've got issues with like the glute 4 protein now i'm not going to necessarily get down that rabbit hole but basically a lot of people do have complications like insulin resistance and once again i can pick this up in blood markers when people have elevated fasting glucose and elevated fasting insulin together but also leptin resistance now leptin leptin being a particular hormone that is actually produced in your adipose cells or your adipocytes, that actually helps with satiety. So basically, when you're producing more leptin in your adipose cells, it sends a message to the brain to basically essentially stop eating. So you, to, to stop um, basically sort of stocking up on calories. And that's really important because with people with leptin resistance, they have, that inability, they have an inability to send that message to the brain, so they have no shut-off mechanism, so they tend to be gorging on food. Now, people who've got insulin resist resistance, leptin resistance, they tend to have like midline belly fat, almost like the spare tire. Now, obviously, there's loads of different mechanisms we can use to help with this, and we've really focused on like even particular supplements like chromium and berberine to help sort of shuttle glucose into the cell for energy, but... And, and obviously training to help with um, 
uh, insulin resistance and improve insulin sensitivity and obviously there's things like fasting. But when you've got quite a sluggish metabolism, I want you to just imagine like when you get into ice, essentially your body's like, what the hell is going on? Yeah, okay. And so when you get in ice, your body really has no choice but to start to generate heat. And so essentially what it's going to do is it's going to take, once again, fats and sugars and convert these into heat and energy for you. And it's going to do it quick smart. Okay. So if you've got a sluggish metabolism, you understand this is a great way of improving things like thermogenesis and helping with your thermostat um, and helping with uh, areas like the thyroid. So it's, it's really important to, to, to understand that, that it's almost like adding this can really start to fast track that whole process of helping to combat things like obesity and help with body composition. Now, it's really interesting because if we actually look at, um, I'm going to relate this to like toddlers and infants. Well, basically when toddlers are born, because they, they don't understand basically that they're going to get things like blankets and heaters, um, Babies don't understand that. And so they've got to almost have their inbuilt thermostat. And so babies essentially born with a lot of uh, BAT, which is brown adipose tissue. We actually, and I'm going to get to the adult factor in a, in a minute. But that brown adipose tissue is really high in mitochondria, so it's really high in energy. And also it has a particular protein molecule called UPC number one, which is actually called uncoupling protein. The role of that protein is to basically take fats and sugars and just convert that into heat and energy. Okay, so essentially babies are born with a little bit more brown fat. Now, what they've found in research is that adults don't tend to have as much brown fat, but I'm going to throw a spanner in the works here is because your, your whole ability to produce more uh, brown adipose tissue is really dependent on the environment. And that's most of the time the thing that we're completely neglecting, which is the environment. So if you look at a lot of adults, yes, they might not have actually high ratios of, of brown fat, but they tend to have high ratios of beige fat, okay? And so beige fat basically means, according to the environment, they either produce more uh, bat or brown adipose tissue, or they'll produce more white tissue, or essentially um, like, like more visceral fat, uh, essentially like that provides more cushioning around the internal organs. Now, once again, that's, this is a support system to protect the organs, to provide that cushioning. So that's not a bad thing. But if your environment where you're essentially been bombarding your body with like poor lifestyle factors and so forth, where you're going to produce more white fat because um, you need that cushioning around the vital organs. But if you've exposed your body to you know, things like cold temperatures, um, now, also, obviously, you're, you're, you're more physically active, you move more, then your, your body essentially wants um, higher density of mitochondria, okay, because it essentially needs that energy. And so you can imagine, like, what you're exposing your body to in terms of the environment is really going to change whether you're going to have more brown adipose tissue, whether you're going to have more white fat. So that's really important. So when you get in, when you expose yourself to more things like ice therapy and so forth, then all of a sudden your your body wants to uh, create more brown adipose tissue. There's there's a there's there's another spanner in the works here because you tend to have higher amounts of 
brown adipose tissue where you have high metabolic activity. Now, some of those areas that you have high metabolic activity are areas like the thyroid, okay, because obviously one of the key roles of the thyroid is to take calories and then convert that into energy. Another is around your liver, uh, also your adrenals, and then your kidneys. Now, if I actually looked at look at that with a, a large majority of the Western population, well, a lot of people have things like hypothyroidism, which means they have a sluggish thyroid. They have complications with liver function, you know, things like fatty liver, which might be um, lifestyle factors, but I also find that bacterial byproducts and microbiome imbalances and opportunistic bacteria also contribute to those issues. They have things like hypocortisolemia or cortisol resistance, so issues with the sort of the adrenals and also the kidneys are being bombarded by byproducts and so forth coming from the small intestine, which is affecting the kidney function. So you start to add those things up. Now, if we've got sluggish function in the thyroid, not the best function going on the liver and the kidneys and the adrenals, well, that's going to affect our brown adipose tissue ratios. So it's really important to understand is that we also want to correct those internal functions because I'm not saying like ice therapy is the, is, is the monotherapy. Once again, I don't believe in a monotherapy. You've got to, you've got to adopt all these sort of uh, methodologies and so forth that I'm talking about to, to get the most out of your body. Okay, so we do actually have to improve the function, function of the thyroid and we do have to improve the function of the liver and the function of the kidneys. I tend to find by improving like uh, gut health and what's going on with the epithelium and the gastrointestinal lining that you start to improve the liver and the, and the, and the kidney function. Now, why? Because it, we're, now it's coming down to the gut to liver access and the gut to kidney access. Okay, like you just by improving what's going on upstream, you start to improve what's going on downstream. So, and also improving like stress management by doing that, this also is going to help with uh, BAT or brown adipose tissue. Okay. And once again, that's just going to, it's just higher, way higher in like mitochondria. Uh, and that's just going to help with energy efficiency as well. So this is really important to understand is not necessarily that adults have low amounts of brown adipose tissue. It's just that they potentially haven't exposed their body to the right environment that is going to increase their brown adipose tissue. Now, of course, certain individuals can have high ratios of brown adipose tissue, and I'm not going to dispute that, but also if you're not exposing your body to the environment, that's also going to increase that. Because a lot of the time when people, because we're taught from very early age, because you actually look at children, and I know like I've got a baby girl, and she's fine in cold weather. And, and most of the time that, want their t-shirt off, they're down the beach, it's like 10 degrees, they don't really care, even getting into cold water. But essentially we teach them that they need to rug up if they're shivering and so forth. But people need to understand that shivering is not a bad thing. Shivering is a way of your body starting to generate heat. Now let it do its job. Because if you're taking away from it doing its job, okay, that's not going to help with things like your thermostat and thermogenesis and the, the, the internal regulation of body temperature, okay? So that, that's really important to understand, okay? So it can be a great mechanism because actually found with people who've got like obesity that they actually had lower levels of that particular protein molecule that I was talking about, which is UPC number one. Now, if they had lower levels of that UPC number one, that means they had 
lower um, levels of, like I said, in, essentially that they weren't able to take fats and sugars and convert them into heat and energy very efficiently. This is really, really important to understand. I'm saying that ice therapy can be a great tool that we can use to speed up this process because, you know, changing nutrition and, and, and training can be quite slow. And I'm not saying they're not good mechanisms, they're great mechanisms, but we can essentially start to fast track this by applying ice therapy. The other thing that I want to talk about, you know, because I've already talked about the immune system and the benefits there. Now I've also talked about thermogenesis and the thermostat and actually helping with uh, body composition and weight loss. The other aspect that I want to talk about is performance and actually inflammation. And so a lot of the time when we use ice therapy and especially in the performance uh, realms, we tend to use ice therapy posts. And I'm not saying that there's, there's, there's no benefits from doing this. I mean, obviously you've created inflammation in the body. You're trying to reduce a lot of the, the, inflama the, the inflammatory sort of conditions around particular joints. And so I'm not, I'm not essentially saying that there's no benefit there, but really where I see a huge benefit is actually increasing performance. Because when we're training and, and, and especially when we're doing things like hypertrophy training and strength training, we actually produce more pro-inflammatory proteins. And actually one of those pro-inflammatory proteins that we produce is interleukin-6. Now, I'm, this is not a bad thing, okay? Because a lot of people say, well, interleukin-6 is a pro-inflammatory protein. I'd actually argue it's also anti-inflammatory. Now, why? Because it actually causes like a pro-inflammatory reaction in the body causes your body to produce anti-inflammatory mediators to start to repair, uh, repair muscle tissue breakdown and like tearing in the muscle fibers. So it causes the pro-inflammatory activity so you can produce the anti-inflammatory mediators to repair that damage. So that's really when you look at it, it's sort of like pro-inflammatory but it's also anti-inflammatory. Now, I want you to think about it from a performance perspective, what's one of the biggest factors that would stop you from performing? So this really goes out to a lot of athletes, um, high achieving people, so it doesn't always come down to athletic performance. It might be uh, cognitive, it might be that you wanna be the best at your job. Once again, it's all the same for me. But one thing that's gonna stop you from performing is inflammation. And I don't wanna like demonize inflammation here because inflammation, is a normal response in the body. And inflammation is just your body's response to a particular stimuli. It doesn't necessarily mean it's bad, but from my experience, like people can have too much pro-inflammatory activity going on, which means their body produces more anti-inflammatory mediators to respond to that. Now, now we can have an exacerbation of too much inflammation. And that's where the problems can lie. And you, you need to also understand is that your body can't continue just to keep on producing more anti-inflammatory mediators because a lot of those anti-inflammatory mediators, they essentially uh, come from protein molecules, but also things like omega-3s. And I've talked about this, I talk about this uh, quite often, but those omega-3s, uh, especially like things like uh, DHA and EPA, they actually help with prostaglandins that actually help to reduce inflammation in the body. But once again, you understand that you don't have an endless supply of, like we don't have an oompa loompa factory in our body and we don't have an endless supply of these protein mediators and, and things that put a lot of pressure on our omega-3 stores and so forth. So you start to tax a lot of these things, yeah, okay? And so then your body can't 
keep on producing high amounts of these things. And what happens is that your body can't produce as many anti-inflammatory mediators. Essentially, that comes down and then you're stuck with just a lot more pro-inflammatory activity. 